Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and ghouls, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest show on Welcome back once again, Talking Terror fans nationwide and worldwide. Once again, we're back with you for an all-new episode of Talking Terror. This week, it is the Ghoul of Geeks pick, Mandy from 2018, directed by Panos Cosmatos. I hope I said that right. If I didn't, I know you guys will correct me. Uh, So I'm so glad that you could be here. Unfortunately, who's not here tonight is the Doc and the Mad Monkey. Both of them have taken the night off. Uh, the doc is also taking next week off, so he will not be back with us uh, at least for the next two weeks. But fret not, because you're hearing us live, because I'm also joined by the Cheddar Goblin himself, the Gloopy Keith. <laughs> Cheddar Goblin. Cheddar. What is up, everybody? <laughs> Glad to have you all here. Glad to have you here, Ghoul. How the hell are you, buddy? I'm doing all right, my friend. Doing all right. I'm drinking some coffee, eating some chicken, which I will stop doing since we are now on the air. Uh, no mid-show munching for this motherfucker. But that <laughs> is about it, man. Just uh, do my thing. There you go. There you go. Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Um, so before we get into what we normally talk about, usually, which is horror news, I know that the doc is usually our go-to in the newsroom, as it were, but I do have a couple things I wanted to talk about. First, um, before we kick off things, I wanted to give a thanks to some people like Evisceration, the horror community page on Facebook, to Dustin Fallon of Horror and Sons, uh, and Tia Radke. You guys are doing a great fucking job on Facebook of spreading the message of Talking Terror, of letting people know when we're on the air, of letting them know what kind of content we're putting out there, and kind of just being a little bit boastful about what we do. So I really appreciate all of you guys and all of you fans who take the time to listen in, whether it's live, like tonight, whether it's any time after it. Uh, anything that you like on the Facebook page, keep it going. Keep the sound alive. I know the Instagram page is really doing well as well. So we just appreciate all of you, and we're looking forward to even more content in the foreseeable future. We love you all, always. Always. And we're so glad that you want to stay scared with us, people. <laughs> Couldn't say it any better myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, cool. is there anything you wanted to talk about as we kick off the show? Uh, no, no. I mean, you know, obviously excitement is built up now and, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but I kind of am, uh, a little, uh, you know, a little nervous about the big release this weekend of Halloween 2018. You know, we've all been talking about it now for, you know, I guess over a year, um, yeah. where we've been discussing it and dropping all the little tidbits of news. It seemed like something was coming out like week by week by week with the littlest mm-hmm. little little ty- types of things. And uh, it is finally here. It is coming out this Thursday. Yeah, I, I cannot believe it. Like, it's finally here. I, I feel like it was just yesterday, cool, that we were talking about how all the Halloween news was just too much. Like, we're getting too much. Don't spoil it for us. Let us kind of revel in the fact that it's coming out. And now it's here. Like, just in a couple of days. So I, I'm so excited. I know you are, too, but I think it's going to be great. 
cannot wait to see this film in the theater. Yeah, a couple days, not the man. I mean, we're less than 24 hours. You know, showtime. That's right, because I forgot you seven, told me that there was a Thursday. Tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the big that thing nowadays, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's I guess that's the the norm these days now is they'll they'll do these uh, previews or whatever on Thursday nights. Yeah, I don't know. I remember big big movie night was always Friday night. Yeah, and we'd go to mm-hmm. the theaters as teenagers and and whatnot, and you try to get there, and you know, obviously at that point you couldn't reserve seats and and all that stuff. You you wanted to get there early. You wanted to get your seat, claim your territory, hope that when you got up to get something, some asshole didn't take it from you, and you know all that all that jazz. But uh, but yeah, no. Now they do this whole Thursday night thing, and I guess it's it's hit or miss. Some films do well on it, some films don't. You know, I think Thursday right. is kind of a hard sell for for people because it's still in the work week. Yeah, and I don't know where you fall in this. I don't even know if we talked about it on the show before, but I kind of miss the old days of going to the movies where you basically bought a ticket and hope that you can get a seat. Sometimes you got a good one, like right in the back or right in the middle. Sometimes you got fucked and you had to sit all the way in the front row and have your neck hurt for an hour and a half during the movie. Nowadays, it's all kind of scheduled, so you get to pick your seats. You know, it's comfortable. You can put your feet up. You can sit back. I don't know. Me, I, I kind of miss those old days of you either get a good seat or you don't. No, no. Uh, I, uh, I I like the reserve seating, man. You know, I I mm. there's uh, I guess a small nostalgic part of me that misses that experience of you know either waiting in a line and you know hoping that you're there in time. And, but at the same time, too, you know what? I'm such a stickler for where I sit in the theater when I'm going to watch a movie, you know, I want to be, you know, pretty much right in the center, center of the screen so that, you know, the screen takes up my whole field of vision. Um, (laughs) You know, it's, it's just nice knowing that I don't have to worry about that. Uh, You know, the front row thing just always killed me. I hated it. And I can't stand being on the side of the screen because the sound just doesn't bounce the same way. Uh, Back, uh, obviously I don't mind the back, but and I don't know, like I said, I'm very, very particular of where I sit. So so for me, the reserve seating was like a godsend when they, they started doing that. Yeah, I mean, it does work in a way. I mean, I, I do wax poetic, and I kind of miss the nostalgia factor of it. Um, I remember back in 89 or so, uh, Ghostbusters 2, and then I think Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part 2, Secret of the Ooze. My father and I could only get front row seating. So, yeah, he was kind of mad at me the entire time because he had to crane his neck to see what was happening on the screen because we were in the very front row, I didn't mind. I was just excited to be at these movies. But looking back, yeah, you know, reserve seating might have helped a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. It's one of those where, like, once they started doing it, I've kind of, like, blanked out all the films that, that I'd seen prior without it. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those right. where now that it's there, I just don't just can't think of what life would be like without being able to do that. You know, other theaters do it now as well. It's not just AMC theaters. I don't know. A lot of times if I see a movie theater, I think um, the theater, it's either East Brunswick or it's the one up on Route 1 where 18 and mm-hmm. 1 are, where the old uh, Route 18 flea market was, or the Route 1 flea market, right. sorry. Um, that theater, I believe, does not do reserve seating. 
And I know the few times that we've gone there, it's been one of those, you know, asshole clenching moments in which you're, you're getting there and you're hoping you're there on time and you're hoping you're there before a bunch of other people go. And, you know, me, obviously, you know, in my head, I'm always like, oh, we got to get there like, you know, a half hour, 40 minutes prior. Because <laughs> yeah. sell out. And everybody's going to be there. And then I go and there's like, you know, eight people. Uh, I kind of always uh, overthink how many people are actually really enjoying the same types of movies I do. <laughs> yeah. And you know us, you know, the way that we have taste in movies, you never really know if it's going to be a full theater or a small one. Uh, but the one thing I wanted to talk about, and it's something that I put on the Facebook page earlier, this is kind of food related. So to all our foodies out there that are enjoying the Halloween season, uh, Burger King is the place you're going to want to be at this October because they not only released a Fanta black cherry slushie that will be the most goth drink you'll ever have because it literally turns your mouth black. But they're going to be introducing a burger on October 22nd called the Nightmare King, uh, which has a green bun. It's got onions, a chicken tender, a burger, and bacon. And it is said to induce nightmares when you eat it because of the proteins and the cheese. I think that's just a PR stunt. But a part of me is kind of tempted Mm -hmm. to eat it just because I want to see if it actually does induce nightmares. The only thing that thing's going to induce nightmares is when you're getting on the toilet to relieve yourself from it. That, that's that's <laughs> yeah. where the nightmare-inducing points are going to become, man. I mean, I don't eat fast food, you know, as far as, like, the you know the big guys like McDonald's and Burger King and all that. I mean, maybe once in a blue moon I'll grab some KFC or something. I just like their, uh, mm-hmm. their Nashville hot chicken. Um, but aside from that, I avoid all that other stuff these days and uh, – you know, my body thanks me for it because, you know, anytime I do end up having it, it typically leads to, uh, to, con- to convulsive bouts of, uh, of, of liquidy stuff coming out of me. I've noticed that, too. Uh, I'm kind of the same way with fast food. I don't eat it a lot anymore. I used to back in the day. That was like my go-to staple, um, especially Burger King because I like their burgers better than McDonald's. But to me, it's just one of those things where I'm kind of interested in trying it just to see if it actually does induce some kind of a nightmare. Or if it's just my head thinking it the entire time when I go to bed, you're going to get a nightmare, buddy, because you just ate the nightmare king. And I'm like, oh, no, shit, nightmares. Listen, man, if that it's burger is some kind of nightmare, they're going to have all kinds of lawsuits on their hands because it means they put some kind of chemical into that thing. So I think it's all PR as far as that goes. But I don't know, man. The idea of a, uh, of a Whopper burger with chicken is really not <laughs> – it doesn't even like really pique my interest. It's not like the two tastes are going to be anything interesting. Like, you know, I know what Burger King's chicken tastes like, and I know what Burger King's mm-hmm. burgers taste like. And putting the two of them together on one bun and then throwing a little bit of bacon and a bunch of cheese on it just seems like it's defeating itself. You know, I'd prefer for a, uh, I don't know, something something different. You know, give me a burger with like a fish patty or something like that. Something weird. You know, make it, make, you want to make it a nightmare. Make it something that, you know, is just, like, completely bizarre. <laughs> Putting seafood on top of a burger. Yeah, there you go, McDonald's. Challenge accepted. For Halloween, we're putting a fish boy on one of our Big Macs. <laughs> like, that's scary. I'll go. But, yeah, I just I thought that was an interesting tidbit. Um, so, Ghoul, are you caught up with The Walking Dead? Because uh, it did premiere uh, two weeks ago. Uh, no, no, but I'm sorry. I just I – just, good – I'm sorry. I need to just credit my dog. Hey, good, good job, dog. Good boy. I, uh, I got to watch him just drop a healthy deuce right on his uh, his pad. So, oh, oh does that ever smell right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, no. You know what? I we ended up totally 
forgetting this Sunday that The Walking Dead was back. Um, <laughs> we finished up, uh, like I, I've been telling you, and you know, telling and recommending to you, we had finished up The Sons of Anarchy finally. Um, all seven seasons. Uh, I mean, I still have a few episodes in the first season to finish, but you know, aside from that, though, the whole series run is done. Um, and we switched over and started watching the new season of AHS. And, okay, sure. You know, we uh, we ended up enjoying it and binging a couple of episodes because uh, it's a couple episodes deep into the season already. I think we ended up watching like two or three that night. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until the next day that I'm sitting there and we're just kind of like hanging out in the living room. We're about to put, you know, another episode of AHS on. And I was like, holy shit, we totally just forgot about The Walking Dead. And we just haven't gotten around <laughs> to watching it yet this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but you saw the premiere, correct? Yes, that uh, I did see. Okay, because at least we could talk about that. (laughs) Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on the premiere, because we didn't get a chance to talk about it last week because you got stuck on the the Pet Cemetery trailer. Um, So I wanted to get your thoughts on the premiere, because to me, uh, it kind of felt like a new show in a lot of ways. Like, there was definitely a a different feel to the season nine premiere of The Walking Dead. I mean, it was an hour and a half close to it. Um, Definitely Mm could have just had it at an hour. Um, But I liked the feel. But at the same time, whenever I saw Rick on screen, I was like, oh, God, like, he's leaving in five more episodes. So every scene he was in, I'm like, oh, no, it's a longing shot of Rick looking at everybody. I'm like, it's going to be bad. <laughs> it's, it's, mm. it's not going to be a good end for Rick. So where, what, what were your thoughts on this? I mean, I felt like it was, you know, again, they are kind of re- – they're in the rebuilding type of season, you know. They they need to to make these new characters and to, to get people in place that are you – know, who have been secondary characters and start shifting them up towards more important roles. Um, you know, we're seeing guys like Daryl, who is now getting, you know, a little bit antsy, it looks like, and, like, he wants to – take that, that leadership role. He's, uh, he's starting to doubt the things that they're doing. So, I mean, obviously, right. it's like we've spoken about in which, you know, Norman Reedus is going to be taking more of a of a leadership type of deal in The Walking Dead. Um, I mean, it was building. That's all that episode did for me. You know, it didn't, didn't shock me, didn't take anything no. from it that was like, oh, you know, it's about time Gregory was killed. You know, he was always stabbing people in the back. He was a real piece of shit, you know, and uh, and every time I see King Ezekiel, all I want is, is for him to have his fucking tiger back, because I love his character, he's my favorite character still in the show right now, and he just, just needs a fucking wild animal, give the guy a polar bear, give him something crazy, you know, <laughs> give him another fucking yeah. animal. Yeah, I know that you had told me about that when you're like, well, he should get a bear, I'm like, oh, dude, I would love it if he got a bear. All of a sudden, he just shows up, and there's a gigantic Kodiak bear. He's like, hello, yes, this is Shiva 2. It's a bear. What? Yes. (laughs) Have the bear, and then you fucking have Shiva come back as a zombie, and then you got bear versus zombie tiger. I mean, you got all kinds of crazy things that you can do with this. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like you had said about Gregory, how you know he'd been stabbing everybody in the back, and then finally there was a finality to it because Maggie decided enough is enough. He deserves to pay for what he did, and I'm going to have a public hanging of Gregory. Um, and then you have these kids show up, and Michonne's telling her not to do it because these kids are watching. To me, that felt like a total change in the Maggie character. You know, yes, she cares about her people, but at the same time, 
she's done. You know, she is not having it anymore, and she's kind of taking on a governor-type role, at least to me. That's what I felt like, her running Hilltop. Mm. Very much in line with the governor. I mean, listen, the fact of the matter is, if you, if you try to assassinate your elected leaders, mm-hmm. as we see here in this country, you're going to be killed. You know, and I think that is the, the biggest takeaway from that, whether, it's, whether the kids see it, whether everybody else sees it. The fact of the matter is, it's not just about not killing people. But it is a matter of understanding that there is going to be an authority. There is going to be a law, you know, where at least there's a chain of command as far as things go. And, you know, if you don't like it, there's ways to change it. And, you know, there were other ways that could be gone about it. But Gregory, I think the bigger problem was it wasn't so much that they tried to do it. It's not like she killed the people that actually tried to kill her. She killed him because he's the yeah. one that was constantly instigating it. You know, he's mm-hmm. the guy that is going to have other people do the dirty work. He's going to push all the buttons. He's going to sit there and work your fucking emotions until, you know, you end up doing something that, you know, you didn't really want to do to begin with, you know, or you were too, I don't want to say cowardly, but, you know, you knew better than to do it. And, you know, I think she just made a statement like, listen, you know, there's, there's none of that going to happen here. But at the same time, that's kind of what, you know, I guess what they've kind of been doing the whole time anyway. They've always been bucking the trend, you know. They didn't join with the governor's idea, you know. They didn't join Negan's crew. You know, they were always doing their own thing. So, you know, the fact that she's going to start going against other people trying to do it, you know, when it comes to, I guess, your life, that's uh, a different story, so. Yeah. Um, But, you know, and speaking of The Walking Dead, because you had actually made a post about two weeks ago, uh, about Scott Wilson, who played Herschel Green. Uh, you know, he passed away. Uh, and it was, it was one of those things. I, I was sad about that because we both got a chance to meet him at one of the conventions we went to, and he was such a nice guy. And this was before his character had died on the show. So it was me kind of hoping that he was going to last and make it because we have that running gag on the show about how I hit that trifecta of meeting Herschel mm-hmm. and meeting Tyrese and meeting Beth, and they all died. So I was like, maybe I should stop meeting Walking Dead characters because they're all going to fucking die. <laughs> That's what happens. <clears throat> but oh, well, you got you got to you got to force them there too, because I mean, I know we didn't didn't go and get the picture with them or anything, but we did kind of meet Carl as well. So we did, yeah. He was in the background when I got that picture with Beth. Um, but with Herschel, it was one of those things I kind of miss on the show, is because during the prison season, they had that council that was and Herschel was one of the members. And I kind of like that aspect. You know, the council is the one that decides what's right and what's wrong for the community. And you don't really have that anymore. Now it's just, we're going to do what we want to do. And this is what this community does in Hilltop. This is what Alexandria does. You know, they all have their different kind of sets of rules, but I don't feel like there's a moral compass anymore for any of these tribes. Mm. Well, again, I mean, I think that's the better way to say it is that they're, they're, they're separate tribes. You know, and each one of them kind of have their own rules and their own way of governing things and taking care of business. Um, obviously, we're going to see where that starts to to butt heads. You can't have a governing council over three separate locations because, you know, you got different conditions and different needs at each of those locations. So unless you're going to have like a, a U.N. assembly in The Walking right. Dead, which I don't think anybody wants to watch <laughs> – you know, it's uh, it's got to be done the way they're doing it. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it's not to say that I don't like it, but this also leads to um, what you had said about Sunday night, second episode premieres, and you guys kind of forgot about it because you're watching American Horror Story. It was also something that was posted earlier about how the Walking Dead viewership numbers are dropping at in a, mm-hmm. kind of an alarming rate, as it were. But to me, I kind of wonder if that's not really so much people not watching the show, but different ways people can watch it now. You don't have to watch it on Sundays if you don't want to. You can watch it on demand. You can record it. You can watch it on your phone, your tablet. So viewing has changed over the years because of technology. So I wonder if Mm -hmm. it's the fact that people aren't watching anymore or if they're just not watching it on Sundays. I'm pretty sure the way they take the television ratings now, they do take into account on whether or not a show is being DVR'd. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so that I think does get included into the viewership totals as far as like it's live run. Um, everything after that, though, no. I mean, obviously, if it's on demand, like, I, obviously they can they can watch the hits for it and everything. But that might take some time. You know, I think for me personally, it, it isn't a matter of a of a non interest. It's a matter of one not thinking about it at that very moment, and two right. having those options. You know, my preference yeah. for watching television shows now because of you know sites like Netflix and on demand and things like that. I like to binge watch these shows. I like to watch a couple of episodes and get a large chunk mm-hmm. of story in one sitting rather than watch a little bit, go about my week and my life and everything else that's going on. And then, you know, Oh, next week, here we go. Once again, let's get another little snippet of the story. You know, like I said, I, I did seven seasons of sons of anarchy in about two and a half weeks. And it was fantastic because, you know, I got this entire story from beginning to end that made sense, you know, and I remember that when Lost had, uh, was about to enter its last season, because I never mm. watched Lost when it was live. I ended up watching right. Lost when it came on Netflix and catching the first six seasons through Netflix and then the final, or whatever, the first five seasons through Netflix and then the last season I watched live. And, you know, the big thing was, was like, you know, all my friends who were telling me over the years, oh, you should watch it, oh, you should watch it, oh, you should watch it. Right. Half the shit that I would talk to them about, they totally forgot, you know, or something would come up in the new season. And, you know, because I had just seen all these seasons previous, previously and quickly, you know, I'd bring something up and they'd be like, oh, that's why they fucking did that, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I just feel like it's a, it's a more natural way to view it, you know, which I guess in a way sucks for live television because, you know, I mean, I guess eventually they're going to get watched, but it is going to affect their numbers. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know... Like you had said, uh, you know, with the binging and things like that. I remember a couple of years ago when you started binging Dexter when it was in the mm-hmm. middle of its run. And I was so jealous because I wished I had had that option when I first started watching Dexter because I watched it from the start. So I had to wait, you know, months on months for the next season. Whereas you had like three or four seasons already packed up. You could just watch them all in order. You had no waiting. Mm-hmm. So I was like, ah, you know, I kind of envy that. You know, the fact that you have the ability to binge, whereas I watched it live, and I'm like, all right, well, season one is, and I have to wait until next year. So I I like the fact that binging exists. You know, I can wait for a show to end and then get all the episodes and then watch them in one swoop. Um, I'm doing that with Riverdale right now. I'm on season Mm -hmm. two of Riverdale. I love the show. I'm on, you know, season two, episode 11. There's 22 episodes, so I'm going to have that done. The new season just premiered. So I'm like, okay, well, great. Now, once I'm caught up, I can watch the new season on demand whenever I want and just catch up. So I like binging. You know, I'm kind of getting there 
where live TV isn't the place to go anymore. I can wait. I could Walking Dead, if I don't have time on Sundays, which I usually don't because I have the deuces on on HBO, then I have a Family Guy, and I got all these other shows that I watch on Sunday nights. So I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll make time for The Walking Dead, you know, sometimes during the week. I won't watch it live. I, well, I know one of the cool things, too, with uh... – I mean, I, I don't know. It seems like it's the the, the gig with the CW shows. Um, mm-hmm. They have, I believe, a deal with Netflix where pretty much, I think it's like a week, two weeks tops after their shows end, the whole season's mm-hmm. available on Netflix. Like, it's okay. right there. Right. So, you know, that's always great, too, because, you know, even if you, if you don't want to do the on-demand thing and, you know, watch an episode or watch only two episodes, you can wait whatever the – what is it, a 10 to 13 week run uh, of the show. And then, you know, once that's over, boom, you can watch the entire season. Yeah, that's why I said, you know, on demand, um, you know, or or getting the seasons, however you do, I think that's the best way to do it. That way you could just do it. Like you said, in three weeks, you know, you'd watch all those seasons of Sons of Anarchy, you know, done in the books, no waiting, no having to wait another year for a season. Just do it all and enjoy it. You know, it, it goes a long way. You know, you just kind of hope that they can get their hits. Yeah, well, I mean, my only complaint, obviously, with On Demand is that they put commercials in it now. And you can't fast forward. Yeah, oh, that, yeah. that's always a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, especially with The Walking Dead. You know, the episodes are like 66 minutes long. And you're like, all right, hit the fast forward button. Can't do it. <laughs> Function's unavailable. God damn. Fast forward's not av- available for this, you know, <laughs> television broadcast. Yeah, you know what? Though again, it's a small, small price to pay, man. Small, small price to pay. It really is, you know, in in the grand scheme of things. At the same time, I'm like, all right, I'll mute it so the commercials are on, and then I'll put on Riverdale. So as soon as it's back, you know, shut off Riverdale, then go back to The Walking Dead or The Deuce or any of the numerous shows that I'm trying to watch on demand, and you know, get them done. So, yeah, I love the fact that we have that option. Another example of a show that I ended up missing, you know, that, you know, that I love. I love the series. I missed the, the latest episode of Doctor Who. You know, I didn't think about that. I think they, uh, the episodes come on on Saturdays. Didn't mm-hmm. think about it. I mean, I watched the first episode, and, you know, I think the new Doctor is great. She was a lot right. of fun. She's very charming. She was funny. She had a Doctor moment, you know, in her, in her episode, which, you know, I feel like any... Any solid doctor is always going to have that, you know, and I, I felt like Peter Capaldi lacked it. You know, for me, Matt okay. Smith had the best moment with it, you know, and that, yeah. uh, that that season five premiere where, you know, he ends up talking to whatever alien and the alien starts researching on the doctor and you see from the very first doctor all the, fla- the faces flashing. And then as David Tennant comes up and Matt Smith walks through that face and then mm-hmm. Matt Smith's face, he's like, I'm the doctor. You know what? Boom. You fucking got me right there, man. That was just fucking awesome. Well, they also had that moment. um, I think it was in Day of the Doctor that really got me was uh, Matt Smith talking to uh, Tom Baker, the fourth doctor. Oh, that killed me every time, man. And then he walks through the door, and you get to see all the doctors. Like Mm -hmm. like a cosmic atmosphere, and that got me. Just to see them all represented, you know, and he's among them now as one of the doctors that gets me every time like that, you know, as the fanboy in me, he's like, Oh, this is so perfect. Just seeing Tom Baker, Matt Smith. And then you get all the other doctors. It was perfect. 
Tom Baker in that moment, I mean, you want to talk about turning waterworks on for me. That's it. You know, that's my first doctor yeah. right there. When he's up there and he's talking, like it must, you know, knowing he's a part of this series that launched to the stratosphere a couple of years ago, you know, even though it had been on the air for, for so many years and it had its moments of great popularity. Mm-hmm. But to yeah. achieve what it did, during that David Tennant and those early Matt Smith seasons. And, you know, to know that he had like some small part of that, that they included it all. And like, there he is. And he's talking about it. And like, you know, like he says, he's like, you know, if that was me, and then they kind of hear it like in his chest and he's like, Oh, if that was me, you know, like he yeah. would just so do anything to be able to just be young again and be the doctor now, because, you know, he would love with the special effects and he would love with all the storytelling and the way they're presenting everything now, because, even though those stories were similar back then, the special effects limited what they could do. And even though they might have mm. broke ground and pushed boundaries with some of it, it still is nothing like what they can do today, you know? And that that is just awesome. So, yeah, and plus know, I think that Tom killed. Baker was a, a good point for a lot of people, especially back in the 80s of watching Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people that I talk about Doctor Who, they always say, that was my first Doctor. It was, it was you know, Tom Baker. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's for me too. So I think that's why he holds an extra special place in a lot of our hearts as one of the doctors. I mean, he had a long, longest run of any doctor, and, you know, he just had that look. He had that charisma. It's what captured me. You know, I didn't know that show from a, a hole in the wall. And I'm just flipping through, and boom, up comes my BBC on my old dial-style television, and it's this weird shaggy-haired dude in a fucking blue box. I'm like, okay, oh, this is weird looking. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he had the robot canine, and it was just—it was so fun and so totally loved and low budget, but so entertaining. <laughs> you know, it was totally it. loved. I, I wanted a canine so bad. I had such a fascination <laughs> with animals when I was a kid, and not in a serial killer mm-hmm. way. Like I wanted to be a vet, like I think a lot of kids do. You know, when they're they're younger, and you right. know, like I just—I loved dogs. And, like, you know, like, they started making, like, shit, obviously, this had been out for years, and I had, hadn't seen it, so this is, like, I guess the, the mid-'80s or whatever. You know, there's Canine, and I remember there was a, uh, what was it I think it was a movie called Chomps, which had, like, a I remember robot Chomps. dog in it, <laughs> yeah. and, like, that was there. <laughs> you know, it was just weird, you know, weird, yeah. weird stuff that we got to watch as, as kids in the 80s, man. Like, think about, like, Daryl, you know, do you remember the movie Daryl? <laughs> Yes, I remember Daryl really well. Uh, that and Mac and Me. Remember Mac and Me back mm-hmm. in the day? Like, just they were throwing Mac- everything against the wall. Mac and Me was one of those weird ones in which, like, I guess it was that transition age for me where, like, again, like, I loved, like, Daryl and stuff like that, but Mac and Me just seemed too childish. So I didn't bother, like, seeing that. And I ended up catching it, like, years later and, you know, whatever. At that point, it was like, okay. But, like, it was one of those where, like, I saw that and I saw the ads for it. And I was just like, no, I'm not interested in that. I want to go see Masters of the Universe. Yeah, how'd that turn out for you? (laughs) I'm still baffled by that movie to this day. I'm I'm still waiting for that movie. (laughs) A proper one? Yeah, I'm waiting for them to do like a real one. I mean, you know, it's it's sad. I would really love that. I would really love for them to finally pull off a live action Thundercats film. You know, that's something that's been grumbling for a while. Yeah, yeah. 
But uh, yeah, you know, I've like heard the about Masters of the Universe film. It was so so detached from mm-hmm. the cartoon series that you know it just it, it like made little to no sense whatsoever. Um, mm-hmm. So I would love to see them make like a proper He-Man film and then like kind of go. Obviously, they got to go a little bit kitschy with it. I wouldn't say go. Let's not go full on Lord of the Rings style deal, but. You know, give us something a little bit with with some meat to it, but but fun. You know, it's funny, but there's this guy. Uh, microphone on your vagina? No, <laughs> it's on my side. <laughs> um, hello. Right. Did we lose you, King? Oh, no, I didn't know if I lost you or not. You no, no, I'm still here. Go ahead. Um, I thought you were looking no, up. I was getting <laughs> no, I was getting interference from, from, I guess, your mic or whatever. Um, all right, so, yeah, talk about having, like, a John Link fucking, uh, what's his name? Wow, man, I totally drew a blank. Edward X. Young moment there. Are you I there? Saying, John Link. Hello, 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 John. John, <laughs> hello, can you hear hello? Me? Are you there? Edward X. Young, Ryan House. Hey, hey, man running around <laughs> put some clothes on where are your pants but yeah yeah, so, nah. um, yeah I would love to see an adaptation of uh, He-Man and Masters of the Universe um, I know years ago I had seen I guess like spec uh, drawings that somebody had made of Skeletor and He-Man for a possible movie that they were going to make and it never got made but I liked it because you know, Frank Langella, I like him as an actor, but he wasn't Skeletor. Like, the, the makeup was just terrible for Skeletor. You know, it's, that's not my yeah. Skeletor from the, the, the cartoon. Like, it's, you know, a guy in white That was also one of makeup. He did that for, like, his grandkid or something, too, you know? Like, yep. he had no... Like, yep. And he cheesed it up, which was great. I mean, he was a he good did. part of that film. But, you know, it was like... He obviously didn't know the character, and, like, I saw that in the theater, you know, and I was, like, super stoked as a kid. I'm like, holy shit, they're going to put fucking He-Man on T- uh, uh, in the movies? It's going to be the greatest thing in the world? It's going to be such a... Seriously, I saw that movie, I stopped watching fucking He-Man. You know, that movie was enough to actually make me stop watching the cartoon. I stopped buying the toys, the whole nine. Like, I, up in that point, I had a pretty steady collection of them going and everything, and I think that kind of, like, right. turned me off completely from it. You know, that, and that was, like, the same thing with Voltron, you know? When they, they changed the the series over from the Lion Bots to mm-hmm. whatever that series was with the, the vehicles. There was, like, air, land, and sea. Oh, like the Biobots type of thing? Well, yeah, it was like Voltron still, but, like, instead of them having the lions, you had, like, five vehicles. 
that, like, you know, mm-hmm. five land vehicles, five air vehicles, five sea vehicles, and you could put all five right. of them together and they would make, like, some super vehicle, or you could put all 15 <laughs> of them together and make Voltron. And it's like, how many fucking more toys do you really want to sell us, man? Are you kidding <laughs> yeah. me? Yeah. Well, as they were, they were showing to kids, and that's why they're like, hey, kids, ask your parents to buy the new adaptation of this. So it takes 15 different figures to make Voltron. So... Your parents got to dip into their wallets. Um, but that was, you Voltron know, like man too, like you said. Dude, Voltron was an expensive toy back in the day, you know? And oh, like, yeah, that's the thing. I, I can at least count myself, you know, lucky to be one of those kids that had, like, the real die cast, you know, metal <laughs> fucking lions, like, Voltron mm-hmm. toy, you know, with a five separate, like, my, my parents, I think it was like a Christmas gift. You know, they went and they got, you know, the whole set where it was all, all five of them and everything. Just thrilled. You know, and of course, I played yeah. it and destroyed it and lost the missiles and all that fun stuff. But I, I want to say, like, back then, I think it was, like, still, like, 70 or 80 bucks. Um, I know a couple yeah. of years ago, me and uh, my buddy Jim both went in together and we found one on eBay, you know, in box but not sealed, but all of its parts, the weapons, the every little bit of it. All the full mm-hmm. original diecast Voltron, and it was like $100. So we bid on it. We ended up winning it. And, uh, you know, he keeps it at his house, but that is like a split between the two of us right there. Oh, there you go. Um, so uh, one of the things I want to bring up before we get into the movie to kind of have a little discussion on is that Halloween comes out this Friday. I know we talked about it at the start of the show how we're all excited, definitely, for sure. The movie's going to make a lot of money. But what also that means is that John Carpenter is back in the news. He's popular again because he's the producer of this film. He composed the music. So now, like, all the reporters are going after him asking questions about the movie and asking about other projects. So with John Carpenter, it comes down to Prince of Darkness, which came out in the 80s, about how Shudder, the streaming service, wants to make a TV show based on Prince of Darkness that uh, John Carpenter teased. Now Carpenter is teasing a They Live follow-up, possibly a sequel, possibly a new kind of film. But to me, I like this attention that Chuck Carpenter is getting because I would be eating it the fuck up if I was him. Because now all the Mm -hmm. attention is on you because you created Halloween and everybody's excited for this new one. They know that you're attached. So if I was him, I would be doing everything I could to be like, maybe I'll make another Thing movie. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe another They Live. Who knows? Because that's his attitude when they ask him these questions. They're like, what about a They Live movie? He's like, yeah, totally. Well, we'll talk about it. <laughs> you know, or, or Prince of Darkness. Yeah, I did say I was going to do that. Maybe I will. So for me, and I don't know how you feel about the school, if I was John Garbutter, I would definitely be eating everything up and teasing as much projects as possible. Because you don't know when that light of John Carpenter is going to go out as far as people being concerned about what he's doing. I don't know about that, man. I mean, John has built himself up a pretty solid career over the last couple of years. What the hell is going on with your microphone, man? I don't know. I, I, like I said, I can hear. So. Is it any better now? Yeah, you know, it's panicky, though. Okay, well, I apologize. I'm in the area that I'm in, but I, I will hit it for it. All right, so continue what you were saying, Will. Um... No, nah, you know, John obviously does the, the convention circuits. You know, he's been at Monster Mania and stuff like that. Um, he does these concerts where, they, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's performing his music and everything, and that seems to always draw quite a crowd. 
I mean, I think he's always in at least the horror community's eye. You know, right now, yeah, is he getting a little bit more attention than normal? Of course, because Halloween's coming out. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if he's got any real good ideas, he'll put them forward. You know, whether he wants to throw shit out and see if anything sticks. You know, I mean, that's okay if I say you want to go about it. But, I mean, personally, I would much rather him do something he has some passion behind rather than, you know, a studio turning around and saying, well, yeah, you got some good ideas, but we really want you to do this. Like, I think for They Live, rather than doing a sequel, why not do a TV series? You know, something that could be a little bit more long form and get you deeper into the world of those aliens, you know, something like an alien nation or V or something to that effect where you kind of have, you know, you have humans that are sympathizers and supporters of the aliens. And then you have a resistance and then you have aliens that are, you know, kind of on the human side because they realize that, you know, whatever their species is doing is, you know, is not right by taking over an entire planet, you know, the way they're doing it. Um, you know, like I, I could see that being turned into a long form series better than them trying to do either a remake or reimagining or a direct sequel. Um, you know, the thing, I don't know, they did what? They did the the, the prequel, I guess, yeah. a couple of years ago, which wasn't terrible. I thought it was good. But, I liked you know, it was one of those, yeah, I liked it too, but it was one of those where you knew that fucking thing was going to escape, because it's prequel, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I don't like prequels, because they tend to kind of give you no suspense, you know? I mean, the, the I only thing that could have happened in that movie would be, okay, the thing gets killed, and something else comes down or gets out right. and that's how the thing gets to the base that way. Um, you know, so that, yeah, I don't know if that, I'd want to see a series or a movie. These are like, it's like wanting to see more alien films, you know, like I feel like the bigger they go with these things or the deeper they try to make the lore with these films, mm-hmm. the further away they get from what the original concept was, you know, Alien was a very claustrophobic film. That's what made it scary as hell. And then you see a film like Alien Covenant, where everything's this broad universe now, and there's planets and fucking life builders, or whatever the fuck they want to call those things, man. White fucking, yeah, the engineers, man, the white-faced fucking Aryan nation people. (laughs) Um... You know, like, they, they, they got, I think, too large in scope with it. And again, like I said, it takes away from, like, what made that first film so intense. And as much as I like Aliens, I still feel like Alien was the better crafted of the movies because that one movie was truly scary. Yes, I completely agree. Um, I definitely think that They Live could work as a TV series, like you had said. Um, I would much rather see that than a movie. But I just think that John Carpenter now... He's in a much better position than where he was when he made The Ward a couple of years ago, which was Pan. Uh, you know, it's not a great movie, but that was kind of his attempt at making a new film. It wasn't like, but at the same time, when you look back at John Carpenter's career, none of his movies, when they first got released, were generally liked. Like Big Trouble in Little China, like The Thing, Halloween when it first came out. A lot of people were like, oh, this just sucks. It's just another slasher film. You know, even though he kind of was the creator of what would become the blueprint of Slashers. So the fact that people are really stoked on Carpenter right now, I'm appreciating it. I was like, I would, if I was him, I would just be throwing anything against the wall just to get people excited. 
Nah, I don't know, man. Again, he has developed his career based on people finding his films mm-hmm. after their theatrical runs. You know, he. I know you always argue because you hate the whole term of master of horror and all that. And you know, I think like Carpenter is a perfect example of that because you know here you have a guy that yes, you know, he created Halloween. Yes, he created the thing, but then you look at the the larger bulk of his career. And you oh, yeah. see films that, you know, no, were not box office hits. You know, yes, did they – and, you know, remember the thing was actually a remake all in itself. So um, – but, you know, they uh, they do develop a cult following. You know, there's a sensibility, mm-hmm. obviously, in the films that he's making that resonate with certain people. You know, so, like, I – I enjoy Big Trouble in Little China, but I definitely don't enjoy it to the same level as a lot of people that I know. Um, you right. know, I like I like Kurt Russell in the film and everything, but it was one of those movies that I felt like I saw at an age past the age of where I would have enjoyed it at the at its height. You know, had I seen that movie mm-hmm. around the same time as I saw like The Last Dragon and right. No Retreat, No Surrender, I'd probably be the biggest fucking fan of that movie. But because I did not catch it until I was probably like 15, 16, something like that, it was kind of like, yeah, all right, but I've seen better. You know, I've seen it done in other ways. Um, and that's the way I feel about a lot of movies. Like you had said, the master of horror term. Um, I don't like when that term is applied to horror directors like George Romero, like Wes Craven, David Cronenberg. I hate that term because, yeah, they had a lot of good hits, but does that make them a master? Of the genre, no. It, it means that they're great directors and they have a couple of good movies. But for every good movie, there's a bad one. Um, like you with Big Trouble in Little oh. China, um, you know, Three I'm a fan of. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm a fan of Prince of Darkness, the John Carpenter movie from '87, like we were talking about earlier. It's not a movie that I recommend a lot of times to people because it's uh, an acquired taste, like I like to say. Like, if you want to see something different, you know, Prince of Darkness is probably the way to go. But it's not a movie that I'll be like, oh, my God. If you want to see John Carpenter at his finest, you have to watch this movie. It's just like Big Trouble, like you had said. You know, some people love it, and some people, like, you know, you know, it's good. But, you know, it's not one of those movies that I would just have people run out and rent or buy and say, you've got to see this movie because it's so amazing. You know, I try to mm. toe the line, as it were, with a lot of recommendations because I don't know what your tastes are. You might see this movie and think it's a snap to a bomb, or you might love it. You know, it's it's hard making recommendations. I know a lot of stoners like Big Trouble in Little China, and the funny thing is, is like any time I've ever tried to watch that movie Stone, man, I always fell asleep. Like it just always put me out. (laughs) Whatever was going on in that film was just, you know, if I was fucking baked, there was just no, no true entertainment value. Like maybe I got a couple of giggles, but then it was just fucking Snoresville, man. Yeah. Well, talking about getting baked, uh, we have a movie that you don't have to get baked to watch to feel like you're baked. Uh, and that's Mandy from 2018, directed by Panos Comatos. Uh, this is your pick tonight, Ghoul, so I'll let you take it away, and then we'll get into it. We'll dig into this uh, piece. Mandy. I mean, <laughs> this is like one of those films that's really hard to explain to a person. Yeah, what it is after you've watched it. Um, I mean, I guess the the only way I can even like say why I picked it or anything like that, I was just looking through whatever the latest releases had been like a couple weeks ago, and it's interesting. But it seems like there's been like a 
and we, we've spoken about it a number of times now, it seems like there's been like a real good upturn on mm. not just the amount of horror films that are being released theatrically or digitally, but in their quality as well. Um, right. Which is great. You know, as a horror fan, that's all I want. I just want, you know, horror movies that are going to be solid films. Um, so I was going through the trailers and trying to figure out, you know, what my next pick was going to be. You know, Mandy was one of those trailers that I saw. And, you know, like, the, it was one of those movies that just looked weird. But then when hmm. you see, like, you know, Nicolas Cage, and he's on the screen in this trailer, and he's just covered in blood. And, like, the only line that you, you really hear him say in the trailer is just the crazy evil line. And just seeing him deliver it in the trailer kind of like gave me like this like in, like this internal giggle that I was like, you know what, man? I could just see this is going to be one of those movies where it just works because it's Nick Cage doing what Nick Cage can do, and mm-hmm. we'll get into what it is that he does <laughs> and whether or not it works. But that's that's kind of how I felt with it when I saw it, and yeah, from there I just decided out of the uh, four other films that that this was the one I was going to go with this week. Obviously, and I'm happy it was so intense that nobody else wanted to show up for the episode. <laughs> Except me, <laughs> the one fanboy for Mandy. I was like, yes, we're covering Mandy, finally. Thank you, Google. Thank you. Is it because it rhymes with Andy? Yeah, that's exactly why. Um, but why don't you try to break down the plot of what this movie's about before I give my thoughts? You. You can't really break down the plot for this, man. Fucking psychedelia abound. Uh, Nick Cage cuts down tree. He's got a real funny-looking wife. She gets kidnapped by some Jesus cult and gets murdered, and he goes on a killing spree. Yeah. That's, that's your I plot. I think he just did it. <laughs> I think he just did it. There you go. You know, at its, at its most base, you know, kind of, yeah, cool. I, I completely agree. Trying to explain this movie to somebody who hasn't seen it yet, and you're trying to recommend this movie to them, it's so hard because you don't know if they're going to enjoy uh, Mandy for what it is because it is such a visual movie um, with with everything that happens. It's not just a Nicolas Cage movie; it's a visual movie. Um, mm-hmm. Like we had talked about the other night through group chat, it's a movie that feels like an LSD trip without actually having to take LSD. That's what it feels like. It feels like you're tripping out the entire time. And I think that's a fair assessment of the film. It's a two-hour movie where you feel like you're just tripping the entire time. Things are happening that you can't explain. Yeah. Was it even that long? Like, it did not feel like it. You know, that's always a great estimate to a long film. If if you you get through it and you're like, wow. Wow, yeah, I didn't even realize that. I I thought this moved along at such a clip. I figured it was like a 90-minute film. (laughs) Yeah. And that lends to how good, to me anyway, this movie is, is because, yes, it's a two-hour and one-minute movie, and it does not feel that way at all. It feels like it moves at such a quick pace that even at the end when you watch the credits, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> what did I just watch? Like, is it over? Like, is that it? <laughs> like, there's credits. It's over. <laughs> you have to kind of go back. Um and with, and with Mandy, I, I know that I had told you, Ghoul, that I had watched it, because I know that you had said you might want to pick this movie for one of your picks. I had already seen it, and I was like, okay, all right, Mandy is a great pick, because it is so fucking bizarre 
in every way. Um, and Nicolas Cage, I think he's at his most cage in this movie. You know, you think about Con Air, you think about Face Off, you know. But to me, this is Cage at his most cage. It's his unleashing in this movie and, and what he gets involved with. It's it's definitely a yeah it's definitely a high point of Cage. I don't know. It's like you get like it's like you see every single role he's ever done in this movie. Like at <laughs> yeah. some point or another, it's just that bizarre. I mean, to like again, like I guess the, the easiest way to really discuss this film is to kind of break it down to its its base from the very beginning. Yeah. This film mm-hmm. is a love letter to like those late seventies, early eighties odd films. Like comparative style films. Like when I think about this movie, I think of something like fucking Beyond the, the Valley of the Dolls, like a Russ Meyer film. You know, because it's mm-hmm. just so fucking out there conceptually and visually and it's just it's just weird. Yeah. Um and to me I thought about Blue Sunshine which is a movie that came out back in the late 70s, early 80s, which had to do a lot with LSD. Um, and it was just, it's a fucked up movie where it's just all over the place, but it's so entertaining. And that's what I felt about this movie. Um, I like the fact that this movie is broken down into chapters too, because I feel like that kind of helps you as a viewer, kind of seeing mm-hmm. the acts play out. So you're like, okay, this is the first act where, you know, we're at the mountain circa 1983. And so we're kind of getting the sense of, Nick Cage's character, uh, Red Miller, with his girlfriend, Mandy Bloom, living in this trippy-ass fucking house in the middle of the woods. And I don't know about you, I loved their bedroom because it was surrounded by nothing but glass. And to me, I'm like, yeah, I would love to have that bedroom, especially like when it rains. Like, that would be like the perfect spot to sleep because it's just so yeah. kind of trippy and weird. That's the thing. I couldn't figure out if that was even real or not. You know, like this is one of those movies where like you're doubting the reality surrounding your characters at all times. Um, You know, like I ended up reading the Wikipedia as I often do after, you know, we we watch a film and I start to do some research into it and everything. And like, okay, like I knew that the lead character's name was Red, but I only knew his name was Red because of the subtitles from the film. Um, obviously, <laughs> I knew his wife slash girlfriend was Mandy because it's the name of the fucking movie. Yeah. Everybody else, you know, they, they all get called their names and whatnot, but I, I kind of, I think that you don't get told his name until he meets up with uh, Duke. Bill Duke, Crubbit. you know, I, I want to call, I want to call him Cook, you know, Cook or Mac, yeah. you know, from Commando yeah. or Predator, man. But, like if he didn't die, yeah, this like is where he would be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like you know, like you get this this opening, and you know, it's Nicolas Cage, and he's cutting down a tree, you know, with a chainsaw. And, like, again, right from the very start, you get this, like, this sense from Nicolas Cage, like, this man has never used a chainsaw in his life. <laughs> like, yeah. He's looking at it, he's looking at the tree, the way he's working it, like, it just doesn't make any sense. And yet, like, I don't know, like, there was nothing about it that, like, I'm watching it going, oh, well, this movie's going to suck now because that just didn't, it just added to it because it's just like, yes. hey, this is Nick Cage doing what fucking Nick Cage is doing. It's like, hey, look, Nick, here's a chainsaw. We want you to rub it up up and along this tree as if like you're cutting it down and Nick's like okay well uh huh and he puts it like along <laughs> the bottom of the tree and I'm like what the fuck 
and then they do the yeah, the way he handled it, shot. Yeah, yep. the superimposed shot of him walking and the tree falling down behind him. It was like something out of like a weird action movie. I was wait. I wanted to see like an explosion occur as the tree went down. Yeah, yeah, and plus you know, you add to the fact that the song that plays at the beginning is Starless by King Crimson, which honestly. The song is 14 and a half minutes long. It's way too long of a song, but it's also because King Crimson is a prog rock band. But it kind of plays into the, the movie because the album that Starless is on is called Red. So I was like, okay, all right. You know, you're playing with us a little bit, you know, going into mm-hmm. his character, you know, playing the song. But it was such a trippy kind of main title song to play while he's absentmindedly sawing this tree down completely the wrong way. <laughs> I agree. I thought mm-hmm. that was what are you doing? That's not how you operate a chainsaw. Like that's, but that's okay. how Nicolas right, Cage does it. So the the opening song was weird. It it made me feel like I was watching a Bond movie. Like if like you know like the opening portion of it, like the scenery <laughs> yeah. and whatnot, didn't have that Bond feel, but the song did. Like I kind of just like I I felt like I should be seeing like superimposed images, like doubled up, and like you know kind of like the opening of like Casino Royale, where you're getting all this like, mm-hmm. weird imagery and stuff, and like you know it was like five Bond faces all of a sudden doing one of those. Like, it was like one of those weird types of tunes, but it, again, it kind of just like flowed into the oddness of what you got, you know, as you get these big sweeping shots from the tops of all these trees and, you know, Nicolas Cage in the helicopter. Um, and like I was saying with the Wikipedia, it says like, you know, it, it, it's obviously they don't even know whoever, you know, wrote this in, <laughs> yeah, but they say yeah. that he, he might be a recovering alcoholic. And the only thing Which I can think do. where they get that from is because he doesn't take the beer from the guy when he offers him a beer in the helicopter. Well, and we'll get to it because there is a scene that happens, and it's one of my favorite scenes. But um, I could totally mm-hmm. get that, um, even not even reading the Wikipedia page because I didn't watching this movie. I kind of wanted to go into it just not reading anything. I was like, let me just fucking watch this movie. I don't mm-hmm. want to know any background. I kind of want to experience it myself. But to me, there was a lot of callback to maybe an homage to Jack Torrance in a lot of ways, that maybe he was a recovering alcoholic, and that's why he turned down the beer, you know, and he has this weird kind of vibe, um, especially in the scenes with Mandy, where he's just kind of sitting there, like, because you don't really, you know that they're a couple, but they don't really do anything that kind of says that they're a couple. Um, You know, they're just kind of laying around, watching TV, eating food, Nicolas Cage doesn't have a lot of dialogue to kind of give in these sequences. It's a lot of Mandy no. who does a lot of the monologuing. It's, it's a lot of Nick Cage faces. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, get, like I don't get where, oh, yeah. I don't get where yeah. you draw the alcoholic thing from. Like, so when I, I was watching it in the helicopter, I just figured, okay, the dude didn't want a beer. You know, like I said, I didn't read the Wikipedia until after the fact. So when they mentioned right. the whole alcoholic thing, I do know what scene you're talking about. And I, mm-hmm. that's what came into my mind. And I go, okay, I guess that does lend some credence towards it. But I don't know. I just think the fucking dude didn't want a beer on a helicopter, you know? Uh, especially because <laughs> yeah, the guy was handing him like this. It was like a little mini bottle. It was like this tiny yeah, little... Yeah, it wasn't even a full bottle. One of those like little mini... Like little mini champagnes or whatever, man. Mm, um, yeah. But no, then that scene happens where he gets to the house and, you know, she's doing her pictures or whatever. And he's like, you know, she explains to him what it is. We don't get to see, but we get to experience Nicholas Cage 
looking at it. And from the look on his fucking face, I don't know if it's like the most incredible picture ever, the weirdest fucking picture ever, or just complete and utter shit. Because like his expression is just so, it's like so vague and blank and intense all at the same time. Like I've never seen so many different like little things in somebody's like face. Well, looking at a picture, and like I just wish we got to see the fucking thing. And I guess we do. I we guess did. we see it at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, after the credits. Mm-hmm. But like, I would like if that's the case that I don't. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess obviously he really loved her because you know that's why he found that so intense. But again, the expressions that he has in like these beginning moments. Again, I'm I'm already into this because it's just fucking yes. weird, and he's doing weird things, and I love Nicolas Cage when he's being. Weird. Nicholas Cage. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't know if it was a thing of him just being so in awe of this picture because he loves her or if he actually really did love it. Because, you, know, like, you know, when a loved one does something, you're like, oh, my God, that's so great. But in your mind, you're like, that's okay. <laughs> you know, but you don't want to break their heart. So you're like, so amazing. Like, so good. So good. Like, you know, and that's kind of the way I took it. But at the same time, I don't know. He honestly could have liked what she was doing. And really, just so in awe of her talent. It was like, you know, again, like the director just said, "Hey, listen, Nick. Okay, we want you to look at this, and we need you to to be looking at this picture and seeing it like it's it's the greatest piece. Of, like like you're looking at the Mona Lisa <laughs> as it's been created, and what Nicholas Cage puts together there, it looks like he's trying to push all the blood." of his body up into his head to the point that like, you see like the veins starting to come out of his forehead. And like, I'm wondering, is he trying to break wind or is he really like loving this picture? Like what is going on with him? And again, like I said, I was just loving every fucking second of it though. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the, the conversation that they have when they're laying in bed together and they're talking about this book that Mandy's reading about planets and they have that weird conversation about what's your favorite planet. And she's like, I don't know. I mean, Jupiter's really cool. And she's like, what about you? And he's like, I don't know, Saturn, you know? And she's like, well, that's really cool because it was the first planet they discovered. He goes, no, actually, Galactus. And she's like, that's not a planet. And he's like, yeah, but he eats planets. Like, it was so fucking weird. Like, I'm like, like weird, fantastic weird. for Marvel drop. Like, so yeah. like, when that got dropped, I started thinking, like, in my head, I'm starting to wonder, like, is this tied to the Marvel Universe somewhere? Because, like, where did <laughs> you get this random people? fucking thing? And I'm sitting there in bed watching this by myself. And, of course, you know, when, when this question gets asked, I'm just begging for him to turn around and tell her Uranus. You know, like, that's all I wanted him to say to her was just, you know, like, and when he first says Saturn, I'm like, oh, okay. But then he goes to the changing his mind, and I'm like, oh, here it is. He's going to say Uranus, and then he's like, Galactus. I'm like, ah, fuck. Wait, wait, Galactus, what the fuck? Because he eats planets, and I'm like, all right, it's a fun little thing. You know, the fact that he's stroking her arm the entire time. Like, you know, you're obviously trying to connect the fact that they love each other, um, you know, and it worked because it was so bizarre. But like you had said, I'm into this movie. Like, I'm I'm sold. I'm like, all right, I'm I'm good. Like, they're obviously a couple. I enjoy it. Um, and I like the introduction of Jeremiah Sand, the leader of this cult called Children of the New Dawn. What I did find out about Linus Roach, who played the character, he's an actual cult leader. 
of a cult called Enlightened Next, which is based out of the UK and California. So he's literally a cult leader, playing a cult leader in this movie. So I'm like, all right, mind blown. <laughs> this guy wow. is actually a cult leader in real life. That's fucking weird. I, I know him from, like, Law and Order. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, I knew him from his TV parts. But all of a sudden, I'm I think doing it was research Batman's on him. Dad in the uh, in one of the uh, the films, was it the Batman Begins movie? Was he was he the dad? I think he was. I think he was. Um, I, I like I said, I, I I have to go back to his IMDb page to kind of check to see if that's true. Um, but researching it for this movie, it turns out that he's actually a cult leader. I was like, well, that kind of works because he does have that presence. And to me, I don't know if you got this school, but he reminded me a lot of Charles Manson. Especially yes. with the sales musician aspect. Absolutely. And again, this is where I started to kind of feel like the whole, like I said, the Beyond the Valley of the Dolls thing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, through the trailer, you get the idea, like, you know, these that this guy is some kind of, like, figure of that, that nature. Um, but watching the movie, yeah, there's this... this there's this vibe about him that, yeah, you kind of get entranced with him, and it's the kind of role, like, again, like I said, I know him from, like, Law and & Order, um, you know, and, and stuff like that. Like, it's one of those guys where I saw his face, and I'm like, oh, I know this guy. Where the fuck do I know yeah, him from? Yeah, and I was definitely. like, oh, shit, fucking the Law & Order SVU guy. Um, you don't ever expect to see him in a role like this, let alone be in a role like this and really sell the fuck out of it, man. I had no idea he was a cult leader or whatever it is that he's got. Um, but it was just, yeah, it was bizarre. It was definitely very Manson-like, you know. I, he, it was fucking weird, man. And then, yeah, when it gets into that whole thing yeah. a little bit later with the, the, the musician thing, that was just, uh-huh, that was out there. <laughs> it was. The rest, just, of, the, you know, the rest of the group was a little lackluster, though. They were, and I think that's the one thing that I take away from this movie is that the followers were very just one-dimensional, and there really wasn't anything to them except their devotion to Jeremiah Sand. Um, mm-hmm. You had the one guy who looked like fucking Bradley Crianzo, friend of the show, you know, that was just kind of licking his lips the entire time with his fucking blonde mullet. I'm like, okay, well, there he mm-hmm. is. For some reason, he's following his every order. You know, you have the fat kid to uh, the one brother Swan called Lardass. Couldn't find his nose in the mirror. And I'm like, all right, I, I don't understand that joke. It's not funny. Like, you know, there's so many fat jokes you can make and you give that one. And that's what makes Jeremiah I don't, think it was so much, I don't think it was so much of a trying to be a fat joke. I think it was trying to be a stupidity joke. You know, like if you're looking in the mirror, you should be able to see your nose. And, you know, he's so stupid that he can't even see it. Right. And, but that's what leads to him to being the sacrifice. That's what Brother Swan says, that he could be the sacrifice. You know, we have the, the blade of Abraxas. You know, he could be the, the sacrifice that we need because, for some reason, Jeremiah Sand needs Mandy. For some reason, he's just so enamored by this woman. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> There's nothing special about her. You know, she's just a woman, you know, running a, a small store in this town. Um, you know, it's nothing really kind of a great about this character except the fact that Jeremiah Sand needs her and he'll get her by any means necessary, which they do, um, which is great because they're so dedicated to getting this, this couple and rising them out of bed because that was the thing that confused me because I've watched this movie twice now and I couldn't understand why Nicolas Cage didn't have any pants on. You know, I was like, did they take his pants? 
like they just like <laughs> tripping and I'm like, oh wait, it took him while he was sleeping. That's why he does that pants on. I was like, because it's just so fucking weird. He's tied up with barbed wire and no pants. I'm like, where are the pants, dude? Like, you know, but the poor guy got tied up as he was sleeping. Um, but, yeah, like we had talked about Ghoul, they have that sequence where Mandy is brought into the Children of the New Dawn's cult building, and they drop the acid into her eyes, the LSD, to make her trip out. And this is the well, sequence, I mean- to me, that's the most trippy. Absolutely, but you're also skipping our introduction to the fucking Brothers of Abraxas, or whatever the fuck those things are, man. Those are seriously the best. The bikers. Those are the best fucking Cenobites I've seen since, like, the first Hellraiser. Like, these things need to be in a Hellraiser movie, you know? Like, these guys were great. I completely apologize. I forgot to mention the Black Skull, because that's her introduction of them being handed the LSD in the jar. But yes, you have all these fucking creatures with spikes out of them and just weird, and they don't talk like normal human beings. Yes, that was my parallel to Hellraiser. I was like, these are fucking centipites on bikes. On bikes and LSD, man. Which again, we don't know that they're on LSD at this point. What we yeah, know is yeah. is that, you know, they, they, they mention the whole sacrifice thing with the heavy set kid. They when they, they meet him after blowing this horn, which is like it looks like a, a it looks like the Ocarina of Time actually from the it's fucking, okay. uh, yeah. Legend of Zelda film. Uh film and it glowed green. Did you notice that? When he handed it to uh Brother Swan, for some reason it glowed green whenever they showed No, it? see that's what I think was all right, I think the film goes through a couple different points of view in which you get, you know, the the perspective of reality and then the perspective of the cult members as they're seeing shit because they're high. Okay, sure, yeah. I think that's a great question that you bring up because I didn't think about that, but you might be right. (laughs) You know, so I think when we see it glowing green, it's just the perspective of them because, you know, again, they're they're fucking high as a kite. They're all fucked up, and you know, they're to them this is some some magical fucking again. It's the ocarina. It's gonna send me through fucking time so that I can go save Epona, you know. Um, but yeah, he he plays this thing, and then they out they come, and all we see is them get handed this jar, mm-hmm. and then yes, then all this chaos ensues. Nicholas Cage is like thrown on the ground. Mandy's thrown on the ground. We get close-ups of their faces, and then Nicholas Cage gets fucking curb stomped. You know, oh, like, yeah. uh, like what's his face from the Shield? Like it came out and fucking stomped him down, man. Oh, even American History uh, at Norton fucking uh, curb well, stomping the one dude. dude. Oh, there was nothing like that curb stomp, man. That fucking was just <laughs> gnarly as hell, dude. Oh, yeah. that still gives me the fucking shivers when I think of that, dude. His teeth on that curb like that. Oh, that's when you hear the sound oh, effects too. Oh, stop <laughs> it! Making me grind my teeth right now. <laughs> but yeah, like, how come these fucking bizarre creatures they do this? And yes, the cult takes Mandy away. And at that point, we do roll into a very, very bizarre sequence. And I love this fucking sequence. Like I said, I'm into this fucking movie at this point. Like, I'm sold. And so this is, this is one of my first favorite moments in the movie, is you have Mandy being giving the eyedropper full of LSD, but now she's tripping the fuck out. And she gets introduced to Jeremiah Sand, who's wearing a very kind of ceremonial robe, 
and he's talking to her and talking about why he needs her, but he's also playing his own music like Manson would do, where he's playing this fucking very kind of like weird kind of mandolin fucking music and it's playing in the background and you have this one trippy sequence that worked for me when he gets right in front of her face and the camera goes to his face but also fades in and out of her face. So you kind of have the duality of their faces kind of blending together. Um, I caught Mm -hmm. it and I really kind of liked it because it just adds to the whole LSD trip of this particular sequence. Like she's seeing her face in his face. Yeah. Well, it it makes me think of some of my more uh, festive moments uh, amongst those, those worlds. (laughs) And, and yeah, definitely, you know, like that, that type of scene, like that scene in particular is done in the trailer for like a a little bit where you see his face and then like, it's like, it kind of gets distorted and you realize that there's like another face kind of getting superimposed with it. And like I took it for a couple different things. I mean, obviously, yes, you have the LSD factor, but then also, you know, as he's going on and he's talking about all of this stuff and the music is playing, it's like an indoctrination, you know, it's like him absorbing her into himself at that point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, somebody like, you know, some of the other people that are in the cult, you know, the very same thing probably happened to them. And, you know, like the, the idea, I guess, is that as he's going on and on, you get so obsessed into it that, you know, you just submit yourself to his will as he's going on about how God, you know, told him that, you know, he could have whatever he wants right. and this and that. And, like, that's the one weird thing, you know. Like, I never picked up on it at all that this was like a, a hippie Jesus cult. Like, mm-hmm. I immediately yeah. went satanic in my thought oh, yeah. process with this, you know, and that's what I was thinking. So, like, later in the film, when you realize that, no, it's actually not, it kind of, like, made me even, like, think about my own thought process a little bit there because that was my immediate thought, you know. Like, that wasn't even mm-hmm. me, like, paying attention to what the movie was telling me. That was my right. first thought was, like, oh, well, they must be a bunch of fucking Satan worshipers because, you know, that's what Satan worshipers do. They kidnap people, indoctrinate them with LSD and, and all kinds of shit like that. Right, and it, like the, the like you were talking about the superimposing of their faces, like for a second there, like I was so kind of like hypnotized in the sequence, I was like, oh shit, am I fucking tripping out too? Like I was just so <laughs> engrossed in what was happening, and then when you finally have Mandy reacting to it, and she's like, is this your music? Like you really did this? And he's like, yes. Yeah. So then he fucking opens his robe to expose his fucking cock. And he's like, yes, this is my music. And starts rubbing his fucking nipples. And she's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> oh, this is your music. And starts fucking laughing at him. And he immediately starts jacking off. <laughs> he just tries to get himself hard. And he starts jacking off. And she's like, ha, 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 laughing in his face. Like, don't fucking look at me. Don't fucking look at me. Like, it was just so great. Because he's well, realizing think, that she is not with this. Like, she's not going to fall yeah, well, I think it's, even it's, though she's You know, for that to happen in front of his other vassals, you know, this was emasculating. You know, like, here yeah. he is. He's, he is the, the grand leader of this cult. He is all masculinity, you know. Everything that is before him is his. And, you know, there he is, 
strutting it out, his fucking mushroom dangling on down and everything. Mm-hmm. And it was a very Buffalo Bill type of moment, you know? Like, I was waiting for him to be like, well, fuck me. I'd fuck me. I'd fuck, but, I'd fuck me so hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I definitely got the Buffalo Bill vibe. It's like you started playing with his fucking nipples and shit like that. Just with mm-hmm. his little fucking cock out. And she just starts laughing at him. And all the fucking the, the followers look away. When he says, don't look at me, they all kind of close their eyes and they turn away. Except for Mandy, who's fucking hysterically laughing at him. Which, like, listen, man... I've been, mm-hmm. you know, again, like I said, I've been down that road before. And sometimes you can't help getting the bad giggles when you're fucking tripping face. It happens. Some weird shit is so fucking funny that you just can't stop yourself. And I think if some dude decided to whip out his fucking member as he's standing there in a row playing some horrendous fucking music, I'd probably start laughing too. But, see, to me, I don't know if it was the fact that she got the giggles because she was high and seeing this happen, I think that she was telling him, fuck you. Like, I am not following your bullshit. I am not one of your mindless fucking sheep. I am my mm-hmm. own person, and you're not going to fucking indoctrinate me. So I'm going to fucking laugh as hard as I can at your little cock. Oh, I agree, too. No, I agree. That is exactly what she's doing there. But I'm saying from his standpoint, you know, mm-hmm. he needs to at least have the benefit of the doubt. You know, like, listen, man, you just fucking loaded this chick up with LSD out of nowhere. <clears throat> and it just it didn't work. Um, so it, it leads him to do what you think that he would do, which is to, um, in my way, again, confuse the audience. Because you don't see Mandy get put into the sleeping bag that they drag outside. You have Nicolas Cage strapped up with barbed wire. He brings out the, the one girl, uh, Sister Lucy, and he says, you want to know about love? This is what love is. And he puts the fucking bullet in the gun, and he goes, pull the trigger. And you can tell this girl doesn't want to do it. She's not, no. Like, I, I really don't want to do this, but she does it. And I think that's what, you know, Red, as Nicholas Cage's character, is like, holy shit. Like, these people mm-hmm. literally do anything that he asks them to do. You know, and he's reacting to it, which I love the fact that he's reacting. Like, don't do it. Don't do it, even though he can't talk. You know, it's like, don't pull the trigger. Don't listen to what he says. Um, well, again, I mean, a lot of this, like I said, is, is just all of these... These facial reactions and these eyes, like, it really, it was, it was bizarre. It was bizarre Mm -hmm. how good it was because, like, there were times where, like, you know, he was doing it and I was laughing because it seemed so absurdly funny. But then at the same time, too, like, you know, you really are seeing, like, you know, Nicolas Cage doing, you know, a great job acting this role. Yeah, 110%. Um, the one thing that kind of tripped me out, like I said, is that you have this bag, and it's Jeremiah saying, saying that that's Mandy in the bag, and they yank her up by the rope, <clears throat> and Brother Swan sets the bag on fire. So you see it kicking, you see it bouncing up and down, you have the one follower kind of licking his teeth and enjoying the burn while Red has to watch. And to me, at first, I'm like, well, maybe she wasn't in that bag. You know, maybe this was a follower that was another sacrifice, and that's why Jeremiah Sand was fucking with her, you know, with rest. But you can clearly mm-hmm. see the face in the bag as it starts to burn down, and it is Mandy in that bag. And it's like, yeah, you know, there's no turning back. They just killed her, and you have to watch. And it was devastating. Like, you still, even watching it now, to be put in that situation mm-hmm. with Red, imagining yourself in that situation. 
Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm with you on that. You know, like when when it was happening, I didn't realize that that was her in the bag, and then they start yeah. burning it. They're talking about it like it's her, and I'm thinking to myself, ah, there's no way. You know, I mean, the name of the fucking movie is Mandy. I'm like, you know, they're just burning one of the other one of the other chicks or something. You know. Um, but, uh, or yeah, they grabbed somebody else and they were using them just to kind of, you know, fucking really twist right up. But, uh, no, no, Mandy is, uh, definitely it. And, uh, yeah, after she's nothing but ash, you clearly see that it's her face, you know, before she blows away to nothingness. That was hard for me to watch. I mean, even, like I said, even now it was just hard because he manages to get out of the barbed wire and he manages to get over to the, you know, the ash. And then he's looking at the, the skull, and then it just freezes away. And it's like, well, that's it. Like, he couldn't save her, but he could avenge her. You know, that's the best that he can do. You know, he couldn't save her while she was alive, but he's going to fucking avenge her. Um, and it leads to another one of my favorite sequences, because you have Nicolas Cage walking back to the house, you know, bloodied, wearing nothing but his tiger shirt and dirty socks and, and underwear, going into the house, Picking up the 44 shirt, which has significance, and we'll find out what that significance is. But you have the Cheddar Goblin commercial, and it's, mm-hmm. just, it's like one of those things where you can tell why they had it in this movie. It was to kind of say, all right, we're going to have a little bit of brevity in this movie. We're going to have a little bit of comedy to break up the fucking nonsense we just saw, the, the real kind of killing of Mandy, and you have Cheddar Goblin. <laughs> I wanted to get your thoughts on Cheddar Goblin because to me, I couldn't stop laughing at it. It was a uh, see you had posted that picture and I had not seen the movie yeah. yet, so I had no idea what Cheddar Goblin was. But the image that you put up, I didn't even know it was in this movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I thought it was just some like new thing or some skit that was on like SNL or something like that. Um, but it was it was funny. And then when he walks into that house and that commercial starts. I just started cracking up. I mean, yes, it was funny. I think it's, you know, again, I think like you said, it's it's a way of them bringing some brevity in there. I think it's also them saying, like, listen, this movie's over the top, and it's going to be over the top mm-hmm. violent. It's going to be over the top funny. You know, take it for every little bit of it that it is, because this entire thing is just tongue-in-cheek, including, yeah. including what is about to happen next. Yeah, but just the, the the commercial, because you get to hear a little bit of it, and I actually had to rewind it because I wanted to hear what they were saying. And you have this little girl going, who ate all the macaroni and cheese? Cheddar goblin. And all of a sudden you see this little fucking puppet peer out from the door. And it goes, like, you know, it's making these noises. And all of a sudden it just goes, puking macaroni and cheese all over the girl, all over her friend. And it's like, the bang, Cheddar Goblin has twice the cheese of normal background. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I want a box of Cheddar mm-hmm. Goblin because it's so fucking weird to have this goblin shooting so, up macaroni and cheese. It's so 70s or 80s, though, too, man. Like, think about it. Think about things like Kool-Aid, like man. Robin. And, like, all those, like, weird – exactly. You know, like, those weird fucking types of commercials and foods that they were selling us back then, you know? Like, those, those were kind of what those commercials looked like at times. Yeah, and like you were saying, this is the after he sees that the only thing that he says is cheddar goblin. Like that's he's watching and he goes cheddar goblin. That's it. And he passes out in the bed, and then he wakes up, and you have the first of the rage cage moments in this movie. And again, one of my favorite moments in the movie is when he goes into the bathroom wearing nothing but that shirt and his socks and tidy whities, 
and this is my reference to Jack Torrance, is because he's in the bathroom, but the bathroom kind of reminded me of the Overlook Hotel. It's like the mm-hmm. gold walls that also had the weird pattern. And he finds the bottle yep. of vodka in the shelf in the bathroom, like hiding it. So it's like, you can't have this. Like hiding it so he can't find it. Yeah. Uh, again, like I said, like this is that scene where after reading the Wikipedia, like, yeah, did it make me think for a second, like, oh, okay, I guess there is some credence behind him being, you know, a recovering alcoholic. But watching him slug down this bottle oh, and God, like, pour yeah. it over his wounds and him screaming and yelling.
Because all of a sudden he's just like, yeah, I got to fucking make this thing. Like, what? What the fuck? <laughs> all of a sudden now he's crafting this fucking weapon, you know, and building it up. And then all of a sudden he's got this fucking shine to it. He's like, hell yeah. I'm like, there should have been a fucking hard metal song playing in that sequence. Mm-hmm. You have a couple of guitar licks only, in the background. The only problem I had with that sequence was the fact that it was like just out of nowhere. Again, all we've seen of Nicholas Cage oh, yeah. is that he's a locker. You know, so mm-hmm. the fact that all of a sudden he's in a foundry and he's making this badass looking yeah. blade, it was it was kind of weird. You know, like I wish that there was sort of, there should have been some kind of like reference or yeah. something in like the background of his of his house, like maybe a, a shot where it pans across and you see something like it within his family line. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it was just out there. But you know what? Again, this whole fucking movie's out there. I'm not the <laughs> I accepted it. I was like, yeah, I'm in it. Like, you know, the fact that he's there, not even wearing like welder's goggles, he's just wearing a pair of aviator sunglasses, <laughs> crafting this thing together so he can go out and hunt down I'm, yeah, I was thinking was, the same was, thing. I'm like, dude, Nicolas Cage is so fucking cool. He blacksmiths in a pair of fucking sunglasses. <laughs> right. I was like, it doesn't make any sense. But you just follow it because it's Nicolas Cage. You know, he's going to hunt safety down. goggles, you know? Yeah. And I love what he did because, again, this leads kind of credence to these gull bikers being supernatural. Like, they're not necessarily human because of how they work. Because when he shoots the one uh, black skull member off his bike, with the uh, the Reaper, and the Reaper is dying in the middle of the road, and he charges at it with his Bronco. When he hits the Black Skull, his fucking car flips over, like three or four yeah. times. <laughs> yeah, again, like that, like that. We get a quick little exposition from Carruthers, um, mm-hmm. you know, about like who it is that he's going up against here, and he explains that you know uh, the Black Skulls were like this this group of guys or whatever and they got their hands on some like extremely potent LSD and it like really fucked them up. You know, it's it it's pretty much like the meat of what gets told to us about these guys. But when that was said, you know, I'm thinking to myself, Oh, okay, so these guys aren't demons, they're just fucking really fucked up, tripped out human beings that are, are dressing up the way they are. But then, yes, that scene happens with the Bronco, and, and it's just completely weird how the fucking truck just, like, flips over and shit, you know? Yeah, because they, they do have that information dumped about the Black Skulls, and they talk about the chemists and how they were a group of bikers that pissed off the chemist. So he created this batch of LSDs that kind of turned them into who they were. But it's not a supernatural thing still. Until you see the Bronco hit one of them, and then it goes flipping over like a bunch of times. And you have the Black Skulls grabbing on the, uh, the Red and bringing them back to his lair. Which, again, you would think the Black Skulls would want to attach them to something that's not really removable, like a fucking pipe <laughs> in a bathroom. But that's what they do, because they, they're not that smart. And Red's still going to get mm. his vengeance. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... Mm. This is this is the part of the movie that I almost wish was flipped, in a way, um, because like these guys were like the interesting ones. These guys, the oh, guys yeah. that you know, like gave Red a fight. You know, he gets that. Yeah, yep. he's chained to that pipe. He figures out that he can twist it. Um, you know, and he, he gets the pipe loose, and he and he frees himself from this whole thing. 
you know, right. and then he goes on like a, a killing spree of these guys. I right. felt like the the cult people were so much easier for him to defeat that I wish that like this scene, like he dispatched with the cult people, then got caught, did all mm-hmm. of this, and then ended the film at Jeremiah. You know, definitely would have made more sense. Uh, easily, these I agree with that. sequences were so great, though. They were because, and you would think that the the black skulls are going to be harder to defeat because of who they are as people. They're mm-hmm. stronger, almost supernatural. Um, when he defeats the one and he frees himself, I love the next one because it's like a Batista looking fucking one that's just snorting cocaine and watching uh, porn on the TV, He's having a good time, and Red dispatches think- him. But then you have the other one pop up and <laughs> rips his shirt. He goes, "You rip my shirt." You ripped my shirt. Like, you know, like, oh, my, my favorite shirt. <laughs> Nick Cage, uh, amen to you. <laughs> I just love his reaction. It was so Nicholas Cage unhinged. Or he's just one so upset over the fact that the guy ripped his shirt. I think the one was filleting himself to the porn. Except yep. Yep. he wasn't filleting his penis. He was filleting the spike that was like mm-hmm. coming out of his crotch yeah. area. But that oil had yeah. blood all over it, so it was like it was ripping up his own throat. Like, it was just, again, like, it's one of those things. Like, you try to explain this to somebody. Like, how do you explain to them, <laughs> yeah. like, that's what you just watched yeah. and that it's good? How do you explain that to yeah. them? Like, hey, listen, you know, trust me when I'm saying that this is a good film. You know, you say that this to somebody happens. you're thinking, yeah, right, I'm never watching this fucking movie. Oh, yeah. Especially the scene coming up after he kills the one that ripped the shirt. And and Red just picks up the broken glass full of cocaine and just full on does a gigantic bump of cocaine. Just Huge fucking right pile out. of it, dude. Like Scarface Huge style fucking pile. bump. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not done because he finds the mason jar full of whatever the fucking black skulls are taking. And it only takes a little dip of the finger to blast him in the fucking LSD mind fuckery. That's uh, it, just a little tip. And he just, his face starts to melt, and he sees a radio tower, and I was like, what? Like, you know, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, the fuck yeah, am I watching, but I love it. This is hearkening back to, like, movies like The Trip and stuff like that with, like, Peter yeah. Fonda, man, where, like, you know, they were having all, like, this this crazy, fil- like, film style to kind of show you what it's like to, to trip out. Like, yeah, seriously? I can only imagine what this movie's like on LSD, but you have to like oh time it properly so that you're at the yeah. right points of your trip for it. You know, like, I don't know. I, re- I remember typical trips would last like, you know, like eight hours or so. So like, this is probably like a movie that if you throw it on when, in, when you're in like the, like the two to three hour period, like you're going to be hitting your peak as this scene is occurring and it must be fucking insane, man. Mm-hmm. But in a way, it was kind of good to drive the story that he did that LSD that was in the mason jar because it led him to where the chemist is, um, you know, to find out that that radio tower is kind of where the chemist uh, lives. And he's going to get that little bit of information uh, from Richard Brake, who, again, I know you love him, Ghoul, from 31. Uh, I love him in this movie. We're going to get to him. But I wanted to get to the last goal member that Red hits with the arrow, and you see the blood spurting out from his neck, but he just pulls it out, and he's like, yeah, I'm good. 
<laughs> you didn't kill me. <laughs> you didn't have to. You got to do a little bit more work to kill me. So you have the great fucking knife fight, you know, just with the blade. Um, and then well, finally he gets the upper hand and cuts off his head. I love the fact that Nicolas Cage finds a cigarette butt in the ground and lights it off the guy's head. I was like, this movie mm-hmm. is so fucking metal. <laughs> like, why? Like, you know, this is so good. Yeah, I mean, it was a badass moment, and, you know, it's funny, but, like, uh, one of the things I had said with this um, after it had ended, you know, Mm -hmm. not for nothing, if you threw a couple deadites into this movie, this would be on level with, like, an evil dead, you know, like, the, the type of absurdity that was going on throughout this, like, it really made me want to see Nicolas Cage in an evil dead film. Mm hmm Yeah. Definitely. Um, especially because the, the, the skull member that he killed and pulled the head of him was talking about how she's still burning. Like, as he's on fire, he's like, she's still burning. Uh, like, laughing. This is so good. Um, but I want to get into the chemist. Because, like I said, I know that you're a fan of Richard Brake from 31. I'm a fan of him, too. I love the fact that when you introduce the character, he's dipping uh, acid tabs without gloves on. Into acid. So you can only imagine the contact that this fucking guy's getting from this acid. So it made me even wonder if he's a real person. Because I would imagine if you dipped your fucking hands in acid the way he was, you're going to be like down on the ground <laughs> for a couple of hours. Oh. I mean, thermal absorption is. Thermal, thermal absorption isn't, you know, a real good way to get. LSD into you. Can it happen? Of course. And when you're dealing with like right. pure fucking LSD, absorbing through your pores like that, yeah, I'm going to assume that this guy is in like a constant state of just tripping bliss. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in a way, you can almost take everything after he takes that little fucking, uh, you can almost take everything after he chugs the bottle of vodka and say, who knows if any of this is fucking real. But, you know, especially yeah. after he takes the fucking tail, you know, the little dab of, of that mason jar, God <laughs> yeah. only knows what actually, like, is like, that's what I was wanting to kind of see, too. Like, you know, like, in my head, I'm starting to, like, play all these other weird things going on, and I almost started having, like, this this weird idea, like, this movie was going to go the same route as that um fuck that uh that that Christmas horror anthology we watched where Santa Claus was fighting Krampus but in the end we found out that oh, it was yeah. just a guy that lost his fucking mind <laughs> yeah. and was just killing yeah, people at a department store you know yes mm. you know and I, was, I was starting to wonder like is this like are we gonna like go into this this period where we find out that Nicolas Cage just went on a fucking like psychotic spree and then he killed a <laughs> bunch of people because his wife fucking died <laughs> yeah and especially because the way that the chemist kind of talked to him it's almost like telepathically, like he can mm-hmm. tell what Red's thinking. And then you see the tiger in the cage just kind of walking around. He's like, oh, that's Lizzie. Yeah, she's a tiger, and that's where she lives. And then he presses the button. He's like, oh, yeah, I probably should let her go. And then the tiger just opens up the cage and just leaves. And I was like, is the tiger even there? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he, he's like, movie. yeah. He goes, yeah, you're probably right. You know, and it was like, okay, because, you know, Nicolas Cage is just glaring at him. He's just staring at him. And, again, there's no words words needed. You're getting, like, all of this stuff, like, right out of his expression. And, 
You know, and, and yeah, obviously Richard Brake, like, I didn't think that that's where he was going to go with it. Like, he hits the button and the tiger comes out. Like, I didn't know if it was going to be like, you know, are we, were we going to get a fight between Nicolas Cage and the tiger or, or what? But then, you know, I was starting to think because Nicolas Cage has that shirt that had the tiger on it. Um, right. Yep. You know, so I was like, oh, okay, so there's the connection. And that, yes, you that's know, like. Spirit that's, animal. That's his, well, if you think about it, the tiger was caged. And now the tiger's been yeah. uncaged. The cage. And, and Nicholas <laughs> yeah. is now uncaged, okay? Like, these are the kind of things that yeah. started running through my head while watching this fucking movie, man, because it was so yeah, I'm not even out. high watching it. I'm like, oh, my God, yes, he's uncaged. There's but a yeah, I mean, animal. It's going to be running beside him the entire time. <laughs> It was one of those like weird, confusing types of scenes. It reminded me a lot of the scene with the architect in the Matrix, you know, where yeah, like yep. the guy kind of like sits there, and thankfully it was more entertaining than that scene because I know that scene in the <laughs> oh, fucking yeah. Matrix movie was yeah. like your brain decided to like roll back upon itself because you really had no fucking idea what it was that the guy was talking about. Um, you know, and I, I've tried to watch that scene many a time to see if, like, what it yeah. makes sense, and it kind of doesn't. Uh, but this, no, this, you know, again, this guy is uh, definitely fucking out there, and he just leads Nicholas to the to the next. Well, he leads Red to to the next destination in his journey. Well, especially because the arc, the the chemist, you know, he doesn't put up a fight. It's not like uh, that's the next boss battle of this movie. You know, now he's doing the chemist. It's going to be a battle. It's not. Like, it's literally the chemist, obviously dealing with his LSD, just kind of giving him the next instruction of where he needs uh, to go. Well, he's, like yeah. He's also not evil. You know what I mean? He's not bad. He's not good. He just He's just the fucking LSD manufacturer, you know? So we know that, obviously, this area has been flooded with this guy's fucking LSD, and the world has gone fucking batshit crazy. You know, he's a Timothy yeah. Leary type of deal, you know? And that's why I like the fact that they didn't have a battle. I was like, please don't have them fight. You know, let this guy just be saying, okay, this is where you need to go next. This is where the Children of the Dawn have their church. And that's it. And I was glad that they went that way. Because like you had said, he's just the guy that makes LSD, like Timothy Leary. Like, he just wants to get people fucking high off his supply. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any interest in your fight. He doesn't fucking give a shit. I'm just expanding your mind, man. I'm just expanding (laughs) your mind. And he is going to continue to fucking do it as long as he has to. Um, Which, again, like we had said, it leads to the church of the Children of the New Dawn. I love the visual of it because it's just this weird fucking triangular-shaped fucking place in the middle of a rock quarry. Just in the middle of Mm -hmm. nowhere. And Red's going to go down there. Again, I agree with you, Ghoul. I hate the fact that at the end of the movie, he dispatches everybody so quickly. Like, and so much with ease. Like, nobody puts up a fight when he kills them. Because they're not... Oh, just the chain, chainsaw guy. Which, again, I don't know if you ever saw Phantasm 2, uh, but that is a Phantasm 2 reference. When he has the chainsaw and he's trying to start it up, and all of a sudden this guy's got this gigantic fucking chainsaw. And he's like, hell yeah. I'm like, okay, that's Phantasm 2. And I like the reference because that's such an hmm. obscure horror movie reference. It's like if you're a horror movie fan, you're going to get it. If you're not, you're just going to be like, okay, just a weird chainsaw and fight. I've seen Phantasm yeah. too. It didn't even dawn on me like it had any connection to that whatsoever. Um, I love the camera shot 
as mm-hmm. they're going over to introduce us to this like little area here with with the the children of the new dawn. Um, yeah. I just like the way it pans over. I guess it was a helicopter shot that kind of like went over. Oh, yeah. It was like a weird yeah. angle and almost like a fisheye type of mm-hmm. lens, but like inverted, which was really, it was, it was like a bizarre way to fucking film it. And I, th- I just thought that was an interesting choice to, uh, to take us to this next fucking land of make-believe, it man. It was. It was, it was a way to kind of introduce you to where they are, their, their home base of operations. Um, and, you know, he had taken out Brother Swan relatively quickly, you know, with his, mm-hmm. with his axe of metal and leaving Sister Swan, which, I mean, not Sister Swan, uh, uh, Sister Lucy. Sister Lucy. He lets her go. You know, he's like, you know, he doesn't even say you can go. He just kind of looks at her and she's like, okay. Because I think he knows that she doesn't want to be a part of this. Like, she had yeah, nothing I mean, to do she with, was hesitant. with Mandy's death. She seemed like she was a Mandy, you know what I mean? Except she got indoctrinated you know she wasn't strong right. enough to resist um right. i love the way that he dispatches swan you know swan was a douchebag do i wish oh to God, yeah. that there was some fight yes but you know what this guy was a fucking ass man and it was just so satisfying to see that thing fucking jammed in his mouth and and when you know like just as you're seeing like the blood coming out and everything i'm like oh okay i was like oh it was fucking really good you know it's that's, that's, that's yeah. good effect there yeah and then he goes even further. And I'm like, wow, man. Like, I just love yep. how this movie just, like, each time you're thinking, oh, okay, that's it. And then, no. It's going to take it to the next level every fucking time. The blood vomiting was so good in those sequences. And then I kept thinking about Cheddar Goblin. I was like, is this a callback to Cheddar Goblin? Because they're vomiting up blood. Mm. <laughs> Cheddar Goblin macaroni and cheese. You know, that's the way so, I felt about it, but um, the one guy with the macaroni and cheese. Cheddar Goblin loves macaroni and cheese. Even the the chainsaw battle. I love the way that it ended with him falling on top of the chainsaw, you know, and just getting completely eviscerated by this chainsaw. You know, flailing his uh, arms around, and you see the blood shooting out. So he's gone. Um, the one person I would have really, I would have loved to have seen the chainsaw come through him though. When he yes, was flailing yes. around on it, and you see all that blood coming out, I was waiting to see that start coming up and through. That really would have been a fucking killer effect, man. It would have been. I was waiting for it, and maybe there's like a, a director's cut where they did show it. I don't know, um, but I would love to have seen it. The one character that I really uh, wanted to see fucking die was Mother Maylene. You know, the old woman with the white hair. Uh-huh. Just because of the fact that when Mandy died, she was laughing the entire time. And I'm like, I can't wait, fucking wait for you to die. Fucking, I can't wait for fucking Red to come back and exact vengeance. My only yeah, letdown is well, that you don't see it happen. And that was, mm-hmm. I don't know how you felt about that. Well, I mean, again, Marlene, you know, her whole thing was, is, you know, she was jealous. You know, because yeah. obviously she was the object of affection. She probably was one of his first. Um, like I, the way I looked at it was like her yeah. and Swan were like the first two, being that they mm-hmm. were so far along. And then you had yeah. these like younger guys that were like brought in, and you know some of them were just penchant had a penchant for violence. And then there was like Lucy who was like newer and not all the way into it yet. But like you know like she was jealous of Mandy because of the attention that he wanted to give to her because he wanted her so bad he didn't want the old lady anymore. We saw that earlier. Right. Um, 
You know, so like when she's sitting there going on talking about how like she, she could give him pleasures, she can do this and that, and that she's yeah. the best. Like, yes, I did want to see that death, but then at the same time too, when you know we we do finally cut to uh, to fucking <laughs> to her head rolling in, <laughs> you know, towards sand. It was just like, all right, man, he fucking took her head off, dude. Nice. Yeah. And and Jeremiah's reaction to it when he rolls oh. her head into the that place, the uh-huh. weird rock place that's in the church. The fact that he freaks out, like, oh my god, oh my god, like you know, just he can't believe that this is happening. The fact that Red is exacting vengeance, and he's like, you can't do this, you know. God told me I could have whatever I want, and it's just no dialogue needs to be said by Red at this point. Like he just wants to kill this motherfucker, and it was so good. It wasn't any kind of exposition. It wasn't, you're going to die because of what you did to Mandy. It's No, he, he's fucking covered in blood, and the only thing he wants to do is kill him. Um, when he well, gets Jeremiah good. down on his knees, and he puts his hands over his head, and he's like, I suck your cock, man. Is that what you want? I suck your <laughs> cock. I'm like, yep. Um, <laughs> that's it was Jeremiah's great. Face. Because it was mm-hmm. this, like... You know, like, again, like, as we've been watching this character and, you know, we've seen how he commands these people and, you know, we see this, this fervent belief that, you know, he is divine, you know, that, that God himself has come and told him. And, like, you know, obviously, again, we're watching this as a movie and, uh, you know, I'm thinking, damn, this motherfucker took a lot of fucking shit. Um you know, but again, like also Manson, you know what I mean? The guy is completely just batshit fucking crazy. And yeah. like that scene when he goes into like full breakdown mode was fucking <laughs> hilarious. Because like here I am and I'm thinking, all right, you know, Red's going to kill him and he's going to be fucking haughty the entire time. And then all of a sudden he just starts spouting, I'll suck your dick. And this that. <laughs> like, wow, there's a fucking, t- there's a total moment of humanity there. And fucking Linus Roach sells the shit out of it because this is a guy really who truly is fearing his fucking life, realizes that he's going to fucking die and is willing to do absolutely fucking anything not to die. And then just as quickly, that coin flips back over again when he realizes that, you know what, there's nothing he can do or say, so he might as well go out with that fucking attitude and that haughtiness telling him that he's nothing but a fucking, you know, he's a plebeian and that I'm a god and this and that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're you're a pig, you know, you're worthless. But no, when he when when Red gets his fucking hands around his head and he's begging for his blood saying, Oh suck your cock, is that what you want? I love the fact that the head crash is not like Friday thirteenth part three with Jason. Mm-hmm. where he just caves in the skull and you see the eye pop out. No, it takes fucking time because mm-hmm. Red is a human being. He's not a supernatural killer. You know, he has to crush this guy's skull by applying pressure and pressure and pressure. And then when you get the fucking eye pop, I'm like, oh, my God, yes. I love the yeah. practical effect, and it so worked. It was fucking awesome. You know, and again, it's one of those moments where I'm like, okay, well, the movie's not going to go there. The movie's not going to go there. Holy fuck, the movie went there. And, you know, and the the funny thing is, too, you know, I actually did wonder for a second if Nicolas Cage was going to let this guy live because, you know, I didn't think he he was going to let him suck his cock. But I did think that, you know, like, he might feel satisfied knowing how badly broken 
he made this man. And then I was figuring that maybe they were going to go along the lines of like, you know, the guy is broken and he kills himself. But no, mm-hmm. Nicholas Cage completely fucking crushes that fucking head, dude. He squishes that shit like a grape. And and, and the fact yes. that the head pukes fucking blood, too. You just have that great mm-hmm. like all the blood. But it's interesting, sure, like I said, I didn't, I didn't look into a lot of trivia for this movie because I wanted to go in too fresh. But I did see that Nicholas Cage said that he was trying to pattern Red Miller on a vengeance spree after Jason Voorhees. Yeah, yeah, that definitely worked. Just feel the head crush. <laughs> you know, it's definitely a Jason Voorhees vibe. Um, you know, leading to him burning down the church of the Children of the New Dawn, and kind of having that cool guys don't look at explosions moment where he's just walking away from the fire, getting into the station wagon of, of the family that was being constantly cleaned by the one guy. Um, and then you have that really kind of great moment that I really did like at the end of the movie where he's in the driver's seat driving away, and then he starts to see flashbacks to when he first met Mandy. And he's wearing mm-hmm. the 44 shirt. And that's when he realized that's why that's his favorite shirt. And that's why he got so pissed off when the Black Skull ripped it. Because that was a shirt he was wearing when he first met Mandy, and that was a shirt that she was wearing when she died. So it kind of added a new element to it. Well, yeah, well, that was the shirt I guess she was wearing when she was captured. She wasn't yeah, wearing it when she died, died but yeah. he was he wouldn't because he was wearing it, so he still had it. Unless they had multiple versions of it. I, I thought I was thinking that they had more than one because he was wearing mm. the forty four shirt when he went on his killing spree, but she was wearing it when she got captured by Children of the New Dawn. So I think that was just whatever shirt he was wearing at forty four on it. He was the baseball shirt. That was just his favorite shirt. But that moment mm-hmm. that he looks over in the passenger seat and he sees Mandy sitting next to him, and you see his face covered completely in blood, and then he starts to fucking smile, and the only thing mm-hmm. that you can see is his fucking teeth and his eyes. I'm like, yeah, I want that to be a screen capture for my fucking Facebook page because it's so uh, fucking Nicolas Cage. Uh, yeah, I was, again, like, this is just another one of those moments, and, the, you know, the ghoul girl's trying to go to bed, and I'm fucking dying, you know, in bed, like, wow, like, this is just such a fucking far out, weird fucking movie, excuse me, weird fucking movie, and, you know, it ends completely weird, and completely awesome, and just so bizarre, and he's so fucking nuts, man, and then, like, to end it with, like, that that fucking shot of the, the camera kind of panning up, and realizing that the dude is still fucking tripping balls, and God knows that he must be lost in this fucking fantasy world that she drew now. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. that was the thing, too, is that when he drove away, they have that exiting shot of, like, the weird fucking planet. And then I'm like, well, mm-hmm. he must be so fucked up that he doesn't even know what planet he's on anymore. Like, that's how fucked up he is. He's that, never that. coming back. Yeah. And, like, again, yep. this is where it reminded me of, like, you know, like, cover art for, like, albums in the 80s and, like, the late oh, 70s yeah. and fucking just, like, weird comic book shots that you saw, like, Ralph Baxi shit and stuff like mm. that, man. I, I really am surprised. I know you said that the monkey hated this movie. I'm surprised, yeah. man, because this was – this really was, like, a throwback to, like, all of that time. Everything, the way they filmed this this movie was done – 
was a method that made it look like one of those older 80s films, you know? It just really just yeah. screamed everything to do with that, you know? Especially like the, the things that we glossed over, too, is because they had two animated sequences in this movie mm-hmm. um, with Mandy. Uh, the one scene where he sees her face kind of melt and morph, and then you have the one very fucking heavy metal scene where she's uh, next to this beast, and she pulls out the green light, which is just very fucking heavy metal back in the 80s. You know, just yeah. so Yeah, and that goes through. I guess that light was that book, the crystal, whatever it was that she was reading. Oh, like in The Serpent and the Sea, the book that she was reading, which doesn't exist, people. She's <laughs> trying to find that book. That is just for the movie. It does not exist in real life. So as, as cool as that book might be, that does not exist. Uh, but it was a good thing. But, yeah, I, I just, like I said, cool. I cannot say enough good things about Mandy. But like we said at the start, this is such a hard movie to recommend people. Because I feel like you have to be in the right place to watch it because it's such a mind fuck and it's such a trippy fucking movie. It's not a traditional horror film. It's not a traditional action film. It's in a place all of its own. Hey, listen, you know what? Obviously, and you know, like we always say, we never go by by ratings and things like that. No. But the fact of the matter is, is this movie's got a lot of legs, man, and yeah. it's being viewed favorably by critics. You know, people that are seeing this movie are really enjoying the film, which is great. Um, I, I think you know we pretty much. Like we've gone over this entire film, and the, the fact of the matter is, it's a fucking entertaining movie that uh, I look forward to watching a number of times. You know, which is it's always a great thing for me when I find something that I know I can watch again and enjoy it just as much as the first time. Yeah, I, I, I cannot wait to go back to Mandy and watch it again and see if I can find things that I didn't watch the first or the second time. And that's why I was so glad that you picked it, and I'm so glad that you liked it. Because I was kind of worried because I'm like, well, you know, it's not for everybody. I mean, it's got Nicolas Cage and he's great, but it's such a weird fucking movie. But to me, that works. I like weird. I like fucked up things. And that's why Mandy worked for me as well as it did. Listen, it, it, it was one of those films that was great and gory. And even though it was bizarre and strange, it still had an intelligence behind it. Which those yes. are the very yep. those are the things I'm always looking for in a horror film. You know, I want something mm-hmm. that's going to be a horrific situation. You know, I love gore and those effects, but you know, if it actually has some heart behind it and has some thought put into it, and it's making me think while I'm watching it, then you know what? You've you've completely won me over with it. So, and yeah. uh, and again, like I said, we get the the final shot. You know, the stinger scene. After the credits is a, is a picture, and it's Nicolas Cage, and you see the tiger next to his head. And I'm guessing that that is the picture that she was drawing at the beginning that he peered at so intently. I am assuming. But to, to me, yeah. I mean, it, it deserves the credit that it gets. You know, it's one of those new movies that just came out where I'm like, okay, um, I'm going to watch it. You know, I try not to pay too much attention to reviews, and I watch it, and I'm, I'm completely absorbed. Um, but for next week, uh, it was supposed to land on the Doc's pick, but because he has uh, obligations that he can't be with us next week, uh, it lands to me to kind of sell it. So I'm going to go with a movie that the ghoul and I had talked about, a movie that I really do enjoy because it's so fucking absurd and funny. Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, uh, which just came out. 
I watched it recently, and I cannot wait to bring it up on the show because it is just fucking absurdity at its best, and I think it's going to fit right into the show. Absolutely, man. Definitely looking forward to it. Uh, I know we normally have all these fucking outros, but we don't have them all. So, you know, the monkey, the doc, they all say hi and bye and all that stuff. Uh, I'm just going to tell you to go to Bonfire Beat Designs on Facebook or at Etsy and buy shit for your boyfriends, your girlfriends, your dogs, your cats, your lovers. I don't know. If you fucking rub yourself up and down on a stick, whatever it is, just go buy something for it. And what else do you say as we close out the show? Crazy evil. Stay scared, everybody. Stay scared. Make sure you pick up your own box of Devane Cheddar Goblin. It's cheddar. It's good. It's goblin good. And until next week, meet for next week's episode. Blah, cheddar. Keep America strong. Watch horror movies. We'll see you next week, people. Thanks for listening.